In this episode, my friend Mary Jo Arman flies in from the frozen tundra up north, sits down with me and shares with us her experience with becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. She's an author of a couple of books. She's a speaker. She's active on social media, and she's an NNI practitioner. We had fun catching up and reminiscing. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And you know, I'm always excited when I have guests, and I'm really excited, extra excited when they come in to the studio, and today's no different. I have my friend, Mary Jo Ehrman, from the frozen tundra up north. Uh, she flew in, going to do a little vacation, looking for a venue in Fort Worth, and carved out a little time to come down here and visit. So, welcome, Mary Jo. Thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. There's no snow. It's great. No, it is cold, though. 40 degrees. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be 50 today, and we're going to have our sweatshirts on. Yeah. That's shorts weather for y'all, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So, most of you probably know or have listened to uh, Mary Jo. She's written a couple of books, Farming Without the Bank and then Without the Bank. And I'm like, Mary Jo, why do you have two books? I didn't know because non farmers, if they hear Farming Without the Bank, they think it doesn't apply to them. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. So the second book is Life Without the Bank. Life Without the Bank. But all of my social media is without the bank. I got you. Yeah. But, so did you just go through the book and mark out Farmer? Or what would you do? <laughs> no, it is about 80% the same book. Yeah. But Life Without the Bank has more why you should not be putting your money into a 401k IRA, more of the numbers, taxes, penalties, that sort of thing. And then um, why you shouldn't pay cash for your kids' college. But the majority of that book is the same. Now, I had somebody tell me the other day, well, that life without the bank book is better than the without the bank or the farming without the bank. And I thought, well, that's a first. But, you know, it's each to their own. I mean, we've got, We've sold 20,000 copies of Farming Without the Bank. Wow. So it's not, I don't hear a lot about life without the bank. Yeah. But it is not to replace Nelson's book. Becoming Your Own Banker. Right. It will not replace Becoming Your Own Banker. Yeah. Well, look, tell us for the uh, listeners or, and the viewers who, you know, haven't heard or read your material. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. How what what even brings you here? I know, you know. Well, I know what I know, but they don't know what you know. So, enlighten. <laughs> what us. brings me to Texas, or yeah, what brings I, me to IBC? What back up? What brings you to IBC? You know, how did you become exposed to the idea that you could become your own banker? And you know, give us some background. Um, well, I was. It was 2010. Yes, I think it was November of 2010 to be exact i found out about infinite banking quit my job two weeks later (laughs) and said well who's not gonna believe this because this is awesome that's pretty bold you hear about it and And, well i have been i had been looking at penny stocks and the stock market and i had already been going down that real estate road at 24 and i was reading all that stuff dating herself (laughs) (laughs) I was reading all that stuff, but I couldn't get my hands on how to do it because I was a Dave Ramsey, Suze Yorman fan. Mm. So I had to have everything paid off. And, you know, my That's kids. Bad. Yeah. yeah. And my kids would call me Mr. Krabs because I was picking up pennies. I was doing everything <laughs> to Krabs. get ahead. And 
I couldn't, you know, my husband could not see the value of rental properties. And I wanted my debt paid off because that's what they said we're supposed to do. But then how am I supposed to implement Robert Kiyosaki's theories when I don't, when I'm not supposed to have any debt and I was just stuck. And this came across and I thought, well, there's the answer to everything I was looking for. So I quit my job and thought, well, everybody else is going to see that, but nobody else cares about money, James. So therefore I kind of starved for a while. You know, uh, so you were already a, uh, an agent. Life no, insurance I hated agent, life or? insurance. I was an insurance agent. I was a PNC agent. Oh, okay, and so. I would not get my life license because oh. I did not like life insurance. I didn't understand it. Not first even of term, all, being a Ramsey follower. No, I would give them to somebody else in the office. She was licensed. I'm yeah. like, there you go. No, I didn't follow Ramsey. I followed Ramsey's get out of debt piece, okay. but I didn't. Yeah. I was not super fan. I got it. Okay, I didn't drink all the Kool-Aid. Some and of it. Just some of it. Just, I just took little sips. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so then, um, so I did that in, I started IBC in December of 2020, and I went to my first think tank in February of 2011. Wait, 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 wait. We went from 2010 to here and hearing about it. Don't skip over the whole 10 years. Well, right. then I went to my first think tank in 2011, and I believe you okay. spoke. I did okay. Yeah, I mean, you speak every year, but I'm pretty sure you were one of the first speakers in 2011, and then it's just grown from there. And and so you you became so you already licensed. You went got your life license, and then you you know got involved with the Nelson Nash Institute. That was prior to the Nelson Nash Institute came into existence since 2012, I believe. So you were going to think tanks, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I've only missed one think tank. And then I was teaching it, right? I mean, I was teaching IBC just like every other agent teaches IBC Mm -hmm. and going to all the think tanks and learning from people like yourself, all the masters Mm -hmm. that have been around since the beginning because there's not that many of you. Hey, man, don't date me. (laughs) (laughs) The beginning of IBC. Yeah. And then I decided that, hmm, who am I going to work with? And I liked farmers because that's where I grew up as a farm ranch. Right. And so I decided I'm going to work with farmers, but then they didn't believe me. And they said, I don't know what I'm talking about. Because and you so were then young I wrote the or? Book. No, why, because why they think? didn't think I understood. Insurance? Farmers didn't think that I understood their operating costs. Oh, uh, okay. You know, they're like, oh, there's, there's so much capital that we need and this isn't going to work and we're never going to get away from the banks yeah. and... You know, they think it's all has to happen overnight right. and as if they grew their operation overnight. Right. And so they would not believe me. And then I thought, well, I mean, I'm kind of Henri, so we'll just meet Henri with Henri. And I wrote the book. And now, like, I'm not meeting with you unless you read the book. You either read my book or you read Nelson's book. Better, you read both of them. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to all the podcasts, and then you should know what I'm talking about when we get into a meeting. And once they could see it with their language Mm -hmm. of operating and equipment and cattle and all of that stuff, it made more sense to them that, oh, maybe I did know what I was talking about. A lot of money, you know, and then it's like you, you know, selling cattle, you know, the fertilizer, the grains, the feed. They don't write checks for that all in one day. You know, it's kind of spread throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And their costs go up and down. 
Yeah, mainly up, right? (laughs) Right. But a lot of them, this is what I have found. And I know you work with farmers and ranchers as well. I find that they don't know their numbers. They have not run it like a business because Mm -hmm. that's not how it has always been run. And so this younger generation is saying, hey, we need this in QuickBooks. I need to know we're making a profit. You know, I have farmers, a good farmer will know before he puts seed in the ground what it's going to cost him per acre. And somebody else may not know that. And that there's a difference between are you running your operation or are you allowing the bank to run your operation? Who's that check made out to anyway? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. so you uh, so they've read the book. When did you publish your fir- first book? 2014. 2014. Okay. And so <clears throat> they're obviously reading your book and then mm-hmm. contacting you. Mm-hmm. Um, did I mean, does the book help them see that they don't have to do it overnight? I mean, it gives them legitimacy. They get to read it. They get to see numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, does it help them understand they don't have to do it overnight? You know, that, that it is, you know, it's like how to eat an elephant. And it's like mm-hmm. one bite at a time. You know, I made the same mistake Nelson made. And I put case studies in the book. And so they skip I don't know if they ignore the first half of the book mm. and they go to the second half and look at the case studies. Mm-hmm. I'm not real sure what they're doing there, but some of them will see it. And then some of them will say, oh, great life insurance sale. Right. You know, did you read the book? Did, did you get through it? And I love it when they call and they say, well, I didn't, I didn't get to the second half of the book. I read the first part. I scheduled my appointment, but I didn't get to the second half and what do you tell them well, fantastic because that's where all the numbers are so they only right? have to read so half they, the, they only the, have to read half of the book for you <laughs> not the whole book huh? ideally you <laughs> read the whole thing okay. but the thought process right nelson's book yeah. byob is the same thing it is the first half of the book that is most important and that if they can get through that we know that their thought where, process where are you is cutting already his book in half at? Where, where are you cutting BYOB in half? And When he starts getting into numbers, the th- uh, like for me, yeah. I did not understand the second half of Nelson's book. Because the, the numbers, I didn't, the illustrations, right. the, 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 the graphs, and not the graphs, but the really their tabular details from life insurance yep. illustrations. But that's not a life essentially, illustration. Right? Yeah, yeah. But so, they got hung up in the numbers, though. Not the, the concept. Right. Or, but I didn't understand the numbers in BYOB. Right. Because I was not in the financial world. Uh, most agents all. don't either. So. And so I understood the first half of Nelson's book. I understand. I understood Willie Sutton's law. I understood arrival syndrome. Yeah. I got, and that is the piece that I was like, this dude gets me. Like, this is everything I've been talking about. This is what my family's been talking about. Because I had an uncle. In the first page of Nelson's book, it says, if you take all the money in the world and you divide it equally, it'll all end up in the wealthy people's hands again, right? Mm -hmm. My uncle said that to us when we were kids. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then I read it in Nelson's book and I was like right there. I was like, that's exactly what my uncle says. Uncle Nelly had it right. (laughs) And so I did, but when I started reading his case studies, I didn't know what premium outlay meant. I didn't know what cash value meant because I didn't know life insurance. Yeah. And then when I got done reading his book, I was certain you were all going to jail because there is no possible way I did not know about this. 
granted there was no google it was yahooing back Mm then (laughs) right and i couldn't find anything on the internet because the internet was kind of new and so i really thought there's no way this is legal and then i looked it up on our state insurance website and it talked about it and then when i took my it talked about using cash value okay Mm -hmm. and then when i took my test it had questions on my life insurance test about using cash value. Mm-hmm. And then six months into the business, I got turned into our insurance commissioner because somebody thought I was stealing. Oh, this is a good story, James. Somebody thought I was stealing their kids' money. So the kids went home and gave the book to mom. She turned me into the insurance. Oh, you mean like they're your clients and the, mom the finds out. Yeah, the, yeah. the kids are your clients. Mom finds out what the kids are doing. And then the kids were potential clients. Oh, okay. Because the story gets better. So the kids were potential clients. They go home and show mom, the son and daughter-in-law go home and show mom. The life and the insurance department shows up in my office with Nelson's BYOB book. Really? Did they read it? (laughs) Yes. And the investigator says, well, I could see why people do this. But they were asking me if I was front-loading policies, if we were canceling annuities and front-loading policies. Mm -hmm. Well, I, at that point, did not even know what an annuity was because the person that was training me was not training me on annuities. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what front-loading meant. And so I learned everything that you can do illegally (laughs) with a policy. But it was funny. Trained or taught by an insurance commissioner's <laughs> office worker. Mm-hmm. So after <laughs> investigator, I was, you know, after but. I was, and it wasn't a complaint; it was a concern. Right? They didn't. Mm-hmm. There was no complaint to file because I didn't write anything on anybody. There was an inquiry, I think yeah. they called it. So they probably just wanted they, to come learn about the infinite banking. They, concept. Oh, <laughs> I had to send them all my policy stuff. Ooh. They they did a full on investigation. Dude. So I sent them all my applications. They cleared everything, and I what thought, what do you mean all of your like your whole like the, all the applications I had done over the last six months? They uh, we had to send all of those to them so they could make sure I was not front loading policies or canceling annuities. And then putting that into a life insurance policy, you know, because if, and I, you know, I obviously asked a lot of questions. I did not realize that North Dakota is at that point was, um, I believe he said it was number one for insurance fraud per capita. North Dakota? We have had three insurance agents commit suicide due to taking people's money and not depositing the checks. Really? Yeah. But that's PNC. It's not all life insurance. Right. It was just PNC. Those were all PNC agents. But the insurance department isn't just life insurance. Sure. And so they're looking out for us. And it's a small state. We don't have that amount of people. What's the population of North Dakota? And then number one, I I get it per capita. I have have no idea. It's like, wow. I I don't even think we have a million in the whole state. Wow. Yeah. So What's wrong with them people? I mean, I'm just... I don't know. Greed, I suppose. Okay, so they... It's a greedy business, right? That's why people don't like us, because they think we're greedy. uh, I don't know. I think people don't like me because I speak too slow and I'm maybe too direct sometimes. Other than that, I'm one of the nicest guys I know. I don't know. But no, life insurance agents and advisors, they're categorized and pigeonholed, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I'm like, I'm way over that. But mm-hmm. of course, the financial guru has to say, oh, the life insurance is the worst place to put money or whatever they promote because that's what you ought to do, mm-hmm. right? Whatever they're promoting. Yep. So after they cleared me, I thought, well, I guess this is real. This infinite banking thing has to be real because I didn't get put in jail and I didn't get reprimanded <laughs> for anything. How long? What what year was that around? What was the time? That was six was months that? later. So I was 2011. Wow. That's a high was, how are you early on, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I lied. Yeah, it started at six months, but it took them a year to, basically it took them a year and a half to close that. We had to actually call the insurance department and say, hey, are you ever going to close this case? Wow. What are you guys doing with it? Did so the, obviously there was no concern. Yeah. But did a couple of become clients, a potential clients? They did not. But I, guess I what? let them. The son know. passed away oh, without no. life insurance. Ten, Well, 10 grand of life insurance. That's terrible. Was he a young guy or? 31. Wow. Passed away without life insurance. Was he insurable, do you think? Oh, absolutely. He died in a snowmobile accident. That's terrible. And Did he have kids? Two yeah. little kids? Yeah, life insurance is a terrible place to put money. Yeah. And the old greedy agent's going to take it from you, or the greedy life insurance company's going to keep the cash value if you die and only pay out the death benefit and all the other nonsense that and, makes for good talking points. Yeah. And then when he died... The mother-in-law who turned me in decided that she's not going to help the daughter-in-law pay for any of the expenses. Oh, no way. Absolutely, 100%. And her grandchildren. Right. Wow. So, <laughs> it is... That's if a you, pure I, case of the pot... Oh, not pure, <laughs> but uh, yeah, of course. You know, grace for me and law for you. Mm-hmm. I'll judge you by my own character. No. So, they of. didn't have yeah. anything through work... They didn't have, I mean, he had whatever his 10 grand was through work. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, So if nothing always... else, okay, so we are showing you how to use cash value, right? But with that cash value comes death benefit. Can't buy life insurance any other way. And I don't know, I'm sure you've had some claims. I've had four in the last year. When that, when that client calls and uh-huh. says spouse or child passed away the first thing that crosses my mind is they're alone on that policy i hope there was not alone on that policy why just for the higher death benefit yeah i mean i know they'll understand it but it's nice to be able to give them that full death benefit i you know i we we i've had lots of claims over the years and um you know, if there's an outstanding loan, there's an outstanding loan. It's almost like a prepayment of a death benefit. It's not. It's a loan against the cash value. I get it. Um, but it's akin. I mean, if it doesn't come in the death benefit, it it was paid in the form of a loan or accessed in the form of a loan. Mm-hmm. And something was done with that money. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like, yeah. I mean, of course, it could have been squandered. Mm-hmm. But And um, if we use that money for... Let's say that I have a client that uses that cash value for a land. That cash value is going to, it would have taken longer to pay that back. And they're going to feel that a little bit more than, oh, I just use that for operating, but I have grain to sell yet, mm-hmm. or I have calves to ship out. And so that money would come back a lot faster. Mm-hmm. I have had one that passed away from a loan with a loan on it and it made me a little bit nervous because the eight eight children were beneficiaries. Dude. Are eight children going to understand 
that there was a loan on that policy and mm. why there was a loan on that and policy. And what'd you do with the money, Mary Jo? <laughs> yeah, but they're all going to get along. You know, all eight of them yeah. are going to get along. There's going to be no issues. All the spouses, <laughs> everybody's going to agree on everything and it's going to be, you know, healthy. It's going to be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. But the, 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 uh, the death benefit, they're paid in cash, right? Here's a checkbook for the death benefit. And I mean, that's uh, a lot less complicated maybe than dividing up the farm eight ways. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, or. So it is not, it's not a bad thing, but it is the first thing that crosses my mind because mm-hmm. I do want to be able to give them that bigger check. Sure. I um, get it. That makes but sense. But it's I mean. not, when you have a, when you're meeting with a, a husband and wife, you typically, they both know that there could be a loan and it's not an issue. When we have a child that's maybe receiving that death benefit, there's going to have to be some explanation possibly of, hey, there was a loan. This is how it works. Because, you know, mom and dad don't always share financial information like they should. So did you, I mean, that's a that's a great story. I mean, what a kind of a, a rude awakening early on to have the, you know, uh, state investigators show up and you're sitting there trying to do the right thing and mm-hmm. mom or whomever the expert is, it's like, oh, that's fraudulent or that's not good. And then, I mean, did that hurt you? Do you think in business? Um no, it just gave me confidence that I am doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. Because sure. I obviously I'm doing the right thing because the state came in, but I was turned in last year as well. So I've been turned in twice to our insurance commissioner. Dang. <laughs> I know. So they call and they're like, oh, so and so has complaints. And I said, well, that's interesting. She's read the book. We've had six meetings. She can call me anytime. I don't know. It's this is not an investment. She kept calling it an investment. I'm like, this is not an investment. That is clear in the book. And this is the first time I had an invest the the legal office say, oh, well, you're just using the cash value. The lady in the legal department absolutely 100% understood cash value and how it was used. And she was like, yeah, you don't have anything to worry about. We're done here. And because you have the book, you have the meetings. I mean, I that's just a complaint right there. Right. It's like, yep. not not trying to diminish that, but, yep. you know, somebody got bent out of shape. And mm-hmm. But it's nice you know. to know at the end of the day, does it suck to get a call from the insurance commissioner? Yes. Yeah. But I'm glad that they are doing their job mm-hmm. and looking out for the residents because there are people out there that are not good people doing their job. And so when people say, well, why do I have to read the book before I meet with you? Right? Why do we have to read Becoming Your Own Banker before we meet with you? So you know what you're doing. Hey. Well, um, quit getting those calls, man, from the state. It's like, my gosh. <laughs> are these people prior to your requirement to read the book? No, that one was that other one was just last year, but oh, yeah. everybody's okay. been required to read the book since like 2015. Yeah. I did not right away though. Not everybody was required to read the book. Yeah. And those are probably my most difficult clients because they don't understand IBC. They don't understand what Nelson is teaching. They're using it as a savings account. They 
ask about when they can stop paying premiums. Um, but those same clients who don't read the book don't listen to podcasts either. <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs> and so if we're not How listening true. to your podcasts, my podcasts, if we're not listening to those and continually being educated, which Nelson talks about, if we are not surrounding ourselves with those like-minded people, we are going to what? Forget why we have the policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just look at that as a premium, you know, oh my gosh, it's another bill mm-hmm. I got to come up with and yeah. what's the insurance company charging me on the loan rate and was that dividend 5% of what or 4.5% of what or 6, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gina Wells, that's what I, you know, I love Gina, so... Well, you drag them in, you got to drag them around. You know, and always, uh, not always, but look, Nelson became a life insurance agent in 1964, right? After, uh, you know, been buying life insurance since he was age 13. His daddy bought the policy on him at 13, gave it to him at 14, made him start paying for it. Okay. Um, Forestry, you know, think long term. And uh, anyway, becomes a licensed agent. In 1964, spent the first 15 years premium offset in his having the dividend reduce the premium, not premium offset. 15 years in his state farm policy, right? 1959. Okay. Um, the man didn't publish that book until 2000. Okay. He, he had the vision here in the 80. It's like 92 pages. You How can you put how can you convey that much experience in an hour conversation? You cannot. Can't do it in three podcasts of an hour. I mean, he did a 10-hour presentation at, you know, um, prior to his graduation. And and that was literally going through his book with some antidotes and just good Southern gentlemanly entertainment. You know, he's very intelligent and quite funny. So... Why do you require somebody to read a book? Because there's no way an agent or an advisor can convey that mm-hmm. much information in one meeting, two meetings, three meetings, four calls. It's really very important. Mm-hmm. And if they don't read, you know, and I, and I get it that, uh, well, I'm quite impressed with like TikTok and Instagram and social media, how somebody can listen to a really good presentation and then be all in. But but don't read or, you know, and I'm like, man, that's a that's a great marketer or a really good presentation. But you need to get to some real meat. And here's mm-hmm. how you or you might consider reading this or watching that. I call it. Uh, well, I don't call. It, I heard it the other day is the uh, Jim Jones effect. Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. And, I, and a very smart individual in the life insurance industry, Larry. And uh, he said, yeah, it's like the Jim Jones effect. We were talking about social media. And uh, and I'm like, what is that? Break that down for me. He goes, you know, Jim Jones, it'll get you to drink the Kool-Aid, but it'll kill you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I so, think it's funny when they say, well, I don't read. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, But you were reading social media to find it? So you just scrolled TikTok and Facebook and Instagram for four or five hours, you could have had the book read and there's pictures in it. So <laughs> don't tell me yeah. you don't read. What you're saying is I don't like things that have a bound spine. 
Because mm. you'll read a magazine, right? But if it's in the shape of a book, <laughs> apparently that's when we have an issue. Ooh. But you have to. It's, it is not, it is your time, right? You have a, I have an hour and a half meeting with my clients for the first time to go through everything that they do. We can make that hour and a half productive or I can sell to you for an hour and a half. I'd rather teach you for an hour and a half than sell you something because anybody can sell you anything. You and I are not in the business of selling. Me, I, I sell myself anything between here and the front door. <laughs> no, no, I hear you. I, I, you I know, because it's teaching, right? They're, they can go get a life insurance policy with anybody, but who's going to teach them the concept and how to use it? Yeah, I think so. You you give a uh, an hour and a half call, the initial phone call, or yep. Zoom, or yep. however you practice. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. just have to read the book first. I don't care which book it is. Mm-hmm. Great if it's Nelson's because all the meat and potatoes are there, right? I do yeah. not touch on absolutely everything Nelson touches on in my book. It is nothing more than to accompany Nelson's book and to put things <laughs> in English. Mary Jo terminology because I didn't understand Nelson's book. So a lot of times if people read my book first, I break down all those columns that I didn't understand mm. so that people can understand when they read Nelson's book. Because I didn't get it all. I mean, even when, even right before Nelson passed, I had him in Bismarck speaking at a conference and he was talking about tailwinds. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I mean, that's years into this. Yeah. I just didn't always get everything he said because he told stories. And I just tell me. My brain's not that expandable. Like just, you're slow, but you're worth waiting I, for. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Thanks, James. Uh, that's that's funny. You know, so you broke down the columns and I don't want to say interpreting, but just in your language explaining mm-hmm. what is going on in the columns mm-hmm. yeah. do your people read that oh yeah or do they re- just read the first half did you put that in the first half or the second that's half that's in of the your first book? half okay <laughs> <laughs> just in case you that, reading that halfway chapter there. is right before yeah. the case studies yeah. so then when I read the case studies I know exactly what accumulative premium means what cash value means mm-hmm. what net death benefit means I know what those columns mean to have it make sense because yeah. I was not exposed to life insurance and I don't want people like myself to think, well, this is too complicated because yeah. who makes everything complicated? Your investment brokers and they make it so complicated that you think you need the investment broker when in fact we don't. We just need to stop using fancy words, you know, like like I can't. I love Ryan. Love you, Ryan. But I need, and Ryan knows this because I messaged him, and I'm like, dude, I need a dictionary to talk to you, right? Ryan will have his perfect clients that understand Ryan terminology. Mm -hmm. I am not that person. I am just very simple, and I just want to help people that are looking for that answer. So, She loves you, Ryan. I do love Ryan. I told Ryan, I actually copied a paragraph. Ryan and I had a whole Facebook thread or a whole message on Facebook about this. I copied one of Ryan's paragraphs out of something. I don't know what he 
some article he wrote, I think, or whatever he calls them. And <laughs> whatever he calls them. I'm sure there's a big word for it. <laughs> and I copied that. It was at grade it was at grade level like sixteen or eighteen or something. And he laughed. And I thought, I said, Ryan, I'm being serious. I can't. I, like, that's, Stop laughing. I'm being serious. That's hard to understand. Oh, my and, goodness. But that's Did he okay. break it down for you? Did he reinterpret or use uh, No, I was just telling him to stop using or... big words because I need the dictionary. Uh, and he laughed at me. And he's just he uses big words because it's Ryan. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's okay because we need the Ryans. Yeah. Right. For the people that are like Ryan, not everybody is like myself or like you. And we're going to do business with the people that are like us. And my assistants, it drives them crazy. Our clients are like me. Mm -hmm. They are not super organized. They do Mm -hmm. not have their numbers ready. They're farmers. Mm -hmm. They're going to talk to you all day and we're going to be best friends. But they are not. (laughs) Right. They are not the most organized people, you know. And it drives my assistants crazy because they're super organized. But that's why I love them. And that's why we get along so well. Right. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, good luck with that one. Like, as soon as that one applies for insurance, (laughs) good luck. He probably won't get his paramed done on time. He's busy. He's an entrepreneur. He's got five or six businesses going. Good luck with that one. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. I love him. So an hour and a half, though, that's pretty generous, you know, with the first phone call, I'm saying. I mean, it takes, you know, for a client to come and, you know, go through the process. I mean, everybody has a process. There's a lot of hours involved in that. And I'm not saying there's a lot of hours involved on being on the phone, but, um, I mean, there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. You know, coming in, going through underwriting, case design, where you're at, what you're doing. But that hour and a half is an hour of that is where are you at financially? Yeah. What do you have bills on? Where we yeah. need to go? Where are our goals? What is going on with you? Mm-hmm. And I have found that very few agents do that. Mm. They just come in and say, well, how much do you want? how much insurance, how much life insurance do you want or how much premium you want to pay? And they don't look at their full scope. I mean, I had clients a month and a half ago that I was the fifth agent they talked to. Yes. And I typically don't allow that. Like you've already talked to five. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not. And then I ask, I I ask who it was first. Oh, okay. Right. Because if somebody comes to me and says, well, I've talked to other IBC agents and they say it's James, I'm going to say I'm out. James knows what he's doing. I don't, if you can't work with James, then I'm, I don't probably, we're probably not going to work well together either. But none of these agents did I know. Not one of them. Were they IBC agents or just life agents? Of course not. Yeah. No. Uh, Well, one of them was. One was, sorry. So four were not, one was, and I went through all of their stuff and they said, nobody has done this for us. Nobody hear, has sat yeah. down and done that. Yeah. Now we know how much premium to pay because yep. they were putting a hundred thousand in a policy already, and they wanted to stop putting money in that policy and start a new one with me. And I'm like, absolutely not. Right. That policy can hold it. Why would we stop funding something that's just getting going? 
Yeah. Why would you start over? Because they, they don't know. Right. And, and half the agents, I don't know what an agent does or what, or even why they do things. And, and I've got nothing but love for agents. Okay. I'm not. Um, but it's quite common that they don't know or they don't understand mm-hmm. what they can do. And that's just the way they, as a consumer, you know, that's been their experience. Well, I'm going to stop that and do this, whatever right. that is and what this is. And they apply that to life insurance. And when you have a mutual a policy issued by a mutual company there most of the time it's not in the client's best interest to replace it mm-hmm. most of the time now there's always that one outlier you know whatever's outside the curve or um but that's their mindset mm-hmm. stop this and do that and, and a lot of agents i'm sure would let them and help them do that oh i mean think about it that was seventy five thousand in commission that I could have said, or not commission, sorry, 75000 in premium. I'm like, my gosh, who are you <laughs> yeah. ride for? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 75000 in premium that could have gone to a new policy that I could have made some commission on. Yeah. Um, why would I do that? Why would you not just keep paying what you're doing? Yeah. Because we're in, I think we were in year four or five. So keep paying that premium because the snowball just started. Mm-hmm. Get it, keep it. Keep it. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people I talk to that I don't even do. I'm like, we can't do anything. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then once we have more money, we can start something. But I can't do anything for you now because it's actually going to be worse. I'm going to hurt you by starting something new. Then you just keep doing what you're doing. We hear that an awful lot, too, though, going back to, oh, why are you asking that? Or why does that matter? Or, and no, it all matters what you're doing and all of that matters. But we, we hear that quite often. It's like, you know, the last guy just, you know, how much face amount or how much premium do you want to pay? He didn't, they didn't ask, you know, this, this or this, or, and it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Kind of goes back to that Jim Jones effect. You know, you hear a really great presentation and you're all in and, and your existing financial historically, what you've been doing, the direction that you're going, what you want to do, and that all matters. Mm-hmm. And to not know that, how can you ever give um, a proper recommendation or, right. you know, consider, you know, you should consider this, this, or this, or whatever. Or even working with sense. business owners and farmers. What's happening in the family? So many, it's funny that I, I, I am not a licensed psychologist. I do so you not practice I am for not free pro bono. Therapy, huh? <laughs> but it is crazy how many of my meetings basically end up being therapy meetings. Like, what do I do, Mary Jo? Do I stay with the family farm? Do I leave the farm? Oh, do I yeah. stay in the business? Do yeah. I not? Or they'll say, well, I'm farming. And then I say, okay, how many, I, my question is always, how many siblings do you have? Oh, I have three. Non-farming. Yep, they don't farm. Who gets what? And sometimes they don't want to answer that question. Sure. I'm like, no, that, that has to be answered. I cannot do mm-hmm. what I'm doing here if I do not know the family dynamics. And if one of those family members is going to be manipulative and have mom re-sign stuff when dad passes or find the parent without the backbone. Mm, sounds like you've done it before. I Joe. need to know that because we need to make sure we're insuring the right people. Right. Right. And it is, it's very interesting how most people don't go there, mm-hmm. but working with farmers, family is always a big thing. 
even more important probably than business owners. Mm-hmm. But because business business owners, they'll pass it down, but there doesn't seem to be as much fighting. Well, they'll it. have families too. The business yes. Owners. Oh, yeah. yeah. I asked that question, oh, but yeah. there doesn't seem to be as much drama as there is on. Well, they maybe the farming I side. Know, but, you know, maybe they've addressed some of those things mm-hmm. because it's a business situation, right? Right. Where <clears throat> not that it doesn't happen in business, but there's an awful lot of assumptions mm-hmm. sometimes, and in the family dynamic and you know we can talk about this but not that and, right you know he's the older she's the youngest or he's doing all the farming or she's doing all the farming and they're doing this it, it's yeah it can with eight of them it could be really complicated mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they don't 16 you. sometimes they don't want to tell me yeah and i i get it anyway you do I, oh absolutely you just put them in the headlock and drag it out <laughs> <laughs> virtually I mean, I will get it. I have to, I I get that you don't want to throw your siblings under the bus. I 100% understand that. And I, I, I'm going to honor that, Mm -hmm. but I need, you don't have to tell me that they're the most impossible people to work with, but are we going to have issues? Yep. Okay. Then I just plan for us having issues, Yeah. you know? Because some some people think that their family drama is the only family drama. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always funny when you get that <clears throat> when you get that client that says, "Oh, we are really different than anybody else." And I then think, they start talking, you're like, "You're like everybody else." I think we all suffer from a little <laughs> bit of that. You know, my case is different. Yep. You know, I, I think And when in fact we're human. Yep. And so everybody's family has issues. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what is the issue and how do we deal with it? So how long after an hour and a half and y'all determine, I mean, what do you do it within, within an hour and a half? You get the family dynamic, you get the financials, you know, mm-hmm. you ask all the appropriate Then we questions. talk about how the policy is structured. We review how loans work. Mm-hmm. We talk about company. You know, if we get on the subject of companies, they have the right to ask whatever they want at that point because sure. I'm here to teach. And then they get to decide if we need another meeting, we do. Otherwise... There's no point in going any further if I don't know if they're insurable. So then we do applications. Right. And if they want, if not, schedule another meeting or sit and talk about it, listen to more podcasts, whatever. If it's not right for you, it's not right for you. Yeah. Who do you listen to on podcasts? (laughs) For infinite banking? Yeah, yeah. Nobody. Nobody at all? You don't even listen to your own? Mm -mm. No. Oh, that's awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no so and i'm what? like you james we didn't prepare right no. so i have no idea what i said people are like oh you know you said that on this podcast i'm like uh, i have no. no idea yeah what podcast that was i don't once in a while like if you guys have something that i've run across a lot then i'll listen to see what your take is on it mm-hmm. or i will listen to infinite wealth once in a while um a lot, it seems like a lot of IBC podcasts have gone real estate heavy, mm-hmm. and I'm not a real estate. I don't do a lot of real really? estate not, stuff. Facebook says different, young lady. <laughs> I mean, you're like buying this and that, and you then remodeling it too, man. You're in the remodel business. I'm yeah. like, yeah. But so they've gone. So they so I, they've gone more real estate heavy, where it just doesn't necessarily apply now if i have somebody with real estate then maybe but i have very few real estate moguls out there those are typically not my clientele so i 
I listen to everything kind of but IBC. Mm. You know, when I need something, I'll reach out and be like, hey, James, yeah. I got a question on this. Yeah. Or, hey, so-and-so, I got a question on this. Like, I've made, you know, being an NNI, you get access to the best. And so I get to reach out to JLo. I get to reach out yeah. to you. I can reach out to Justin. I can reach out to all the seasoned practitioners right. that spent a lot of time with Nelson. Because if I want information kind of at this point in my career, I want it from people that spent the most time with Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know. I remember the last time we had a conversation, it was about an hour and a half. I'm like, my gosh, man, it, <laughs> it, it was a long time. But it might've been some time between conversations, but yeah, you know, it went by really mm-hmm. quick, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I don't listen, um, to, to this podcast, you know, and, but I get sent stuff all the time. I'm sure you mm-hmm. do too. And yep. Hey, what do you think about this? Or is this right? Or is this wrong? Or, mm-hmm. you know, this guy saying everything but the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker and mentioning Nelson's name and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it uh, is. a it, And there are so many podcasts right now about IBC that it's, tough and i know why would here's the other thing if i'm gonna listen it's because somebody sent me something exact same thing and they have a question on why somebody said x y and they force you to to watch it so you can answer the question yeah (laughs) it's okay i do everything in double time so (laughs) oh okay (laughs) i just speed it up it doesn't yeah right 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 however it is it is always interesting to Kind of hear what other people have to say, but even your podcast, like I've listened a couple times and said, Hey James, okay, you said this, mm-hmm. are you, what, what, did, you're really not buying real estate with it, or you are going to the bank or clarify for me what you're doing. Because as, as a practitioner, I want to do it right. Yeah. Right. And I want to, I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. right. And I'm not just doing what I heard from one other person, mm-hmm. I want to do my due diligence and then see what fits me. Cause not everybody's financials are the same. Right. Not everybody's thought processes are the same. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, th- there's a lot and I feel horrible for our consumers cause they are bombarded with it. And if we can all, it seems like everybody within NNI uses the same terminology explains it the same Mm. but can you imagine being a consumer just learning about it today and you have 15 20 podcasts out there Mm -hmm. that are all saying something different and i just did a podcast on this who do you believe and who do you trust Mm -hmm. that i feel terrible for them because when we got started there wasn't tiktok no there wasn't really Facebook was there, but there was only one practitioner at the time on Facebook. And that was it. Everybody was doing live seminars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> nah, yeah. It, to, to me, you know, back when I met Nelson, there was, you could get, you could hear, you know, a, a, a radio ad, mm. you know, um, and that was really just a big agency that just sold, by the way. Um, but you couldn't go on and find 5,000 videos. You, it could not. You had to 
go listen to Nelson Nash live. Somebody, and that was by invitation only almost. You had to know somebody who knew somebody yep. because he didn't advertise. You know, he went where he was hosted. But today, you know, that's why or part of the reason that the, you begin with becoming your own banker, in my opinion, becoming your own banker, building a warehouse of wealth in the six and a half hour digitally accessible Nelson Nash live himself you know, recording. Mm-hmm. I think that's foundational. And then, you know, your books and there's other great books too, but you know, to have all of that information coming at you, it's difficult. You know, if they say IBC and they use a similar terminology, then they're all the same, mm-hmm. you know, to the newly exposed to the idea. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. We're no. not all the same. No, because it's easy to use IBC and then, Use an incorrect product or teach it incorrectly or whatever. I had a and new that, bolt on. You know, I yeah, love that. We, we really appreciate what Nelson did, but you know that was so long ago. Now I've improved it. Yeah, well, it is. Okay. It, it it's hard for consumers, and I'm sure you see it as much as I do. That people come in and they're told they have whole life, and it's universal or it's variable, and the life insurance industry has done such a horrible job. Of using the right terminology. You know, it's On permanent. purpose, some it's of it. It's permanent life insurance right. as the umbrella over whole universal variable indexed. And the I've had consumers crying. And they're like, I didn't know this is what I bought. That's yeah. not what they said. And they don't know. You start to show them fees and charges and how it works. And they don't know. You know, it's yeah. not, and anybody can sell. I've also recently, I have, it really, I, for whatever reason, it sunk in that not a lot of agents understand the cost to the company and the, what the company has to do to maintain a book of business or to maintain a policy for 121 years and make sure that they're around. And so a lot of, People are talking about stuff that is very superficial, but how does it affect the company? Mm-hmm. And again, anybody can sell a policy, but understanding how companies work, understanding what the client's up against emotionally, financially, that's a big deal. Yeah. I like uh, the point, too, that you made about language. I think a lot of it's on purpose. They confuse the language or have language overlapping products like you know permanent insurance yeah it's permanent but it doesn't mean it's whole life mm-hmm. the same with cash value in a ul policy it's an account value mm-hmm. i don't care what the statement says that have changed over the last few years i've seen where these ul stock companies are saying referring to it as cash value which you can i guess but it's more correctly in my opinion an account value i've seen i've seen this twice now granted i've only been in this industry for in december it'll be what 13 years you've been around longer than i have because you started with life insurance correct um no i started with medicare supplements in 80 seven before they standardized were you selling life insurance though when you met nelson yes okay so i've seen it twice now where they are talking about their they say yes i have whole life and i have them send me but the policy is collapsing 
Yeah. And I'm like, what? And so they send me the illustration and it's adjustable whole life. Yeah. So there are some policies that actually say whole life that are adjustable. So then I have to reach out to a seasoned veteran in the insurance world that's been around longer than 13 years. So what the heck was this product? And so, yeah, you're right. The insurance companies have done some of it to themselves. Yeah. The interest sensitive whole life, adjustable whole life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, uh, you know, back in the day, the universal life when interest rates were high. <clears throat> and I was not, you know, licensed in the 80s when interest rates went through the roof. But um, interest rates were still higher in the late 80s and the early 90s. And people had these universal life policies that they had purchased previously. And they were able to illustrate, you know, 10 and 12 percent, you know, rate of return. Um. Yeah, how many of them are out there today? Not not that many, but mm-hmm. um, you you see them, but they're on the verge of collapsing. Yeah, if they're not collapsing, they're mm-hmm. they're on an accelerated path to collapse, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. you know the uh, the language, and then you know I agree too that you should understand somewhat of the company, the company philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know their financials because the company's financials matter. Um, if they're going to be here. You know, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, they're probably not going to have the shiniest, flashiest new product, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Just my comment. Mm -hmm. But But there's a lot of, I mean, I've, I talk to agents that I talk about vital signs and they don't know what a vital signs report is. Yeah. And vital signs are extremely important to me. I'm looking at them. You know, I, I look at them and, and, and I, you know, had a, uh, I don't want to say relevant or be aware, but, you know, I'm active in the industry, you know, in the uh, kind of what goes on generally. I mean, I'm not like an inside guy, but you, you look at rating agencies and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, most of the time, they don't understand life insurance. Right. I mean, how can standard report, and I'm not trying to beat them up, but how can all these rating agencies give all of these high ratings and the bonds that collapsed in, right. you know, 208 and 209? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, but you do have to look at the financials. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, um, I mean, it just is what it is. But you have like the hedge fund companies and the private equity groups coming in and buying life insurance mm-hmm. and going on right now, buying life insurance companies. They're taking that little bitty old skinny capital and leveraging the fire out of it. I mean, they're buying the life insurance companies because they have capital, right? But then they're leveraging that capital. So the company does matter. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of history, if you can find it, you know, Vital Sons is the one service that gives out the financials. Um, it's helpful. So it does matter. In my, as I'm wrapping that up, it does matter who you work with and who you own, who you're paying that premium to. And I feel like as an agent, you know, we don't necessarily write with the same company, but as an agent, I can call all the people in all the spots and say, where is this portfolio? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Because when you look at those reports and you go to other, and there's a lot of money in other 
I get concerned and I want to know where it is. I can make that call. You can make that call. There's a lot of agents that can't necessarily make that call or they don't know to make that call. And so companies that have gone by the wayside, when I was looking at vital signs, I could, I, where, how, what are they doing? Their portfolios are very, very similar. How are they paying dividends like this? That just does not make sense. It was warning signs for me as the agent. And it wasn't about what the illustration said. No. And so there is there is definitely a difference with an agent that understands and is involved in the industry. Now, I mean, I'm not perfect. And what? I don't know <laughs> and I don't know everything about it because I've I'm I'm not I mean, I'm kind of an old kid on the block. At 13 years, but I'm not new like all these people that have been doing it a year, two years, three years since I've come into the business. And it's really taken off with social media. But I'm still not that 30-year veteran that has been watching it and understands it and has worked in it much longer. That's important, right? It's like like we we went to Nelson because he was the master. Like he created it. That is, why would we not listen to somebody that's 80 years old? Why would I not come to James and say, hey, what about this, this, and this? Because you are more seasoned than I am. Like, uh, never I the, arrive. No, I'm, <clears throat> I agree. And I own the company, the, one of your major companies, and I pay a lot of premium to them. Um, but, you know, when I, and I agree with that, that, you know, when I read Nelson's book, number one, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was 14 years in the life insurance industry, and, and I'm like, what? You know, was, after you get over being angry, you know, <laughs> you eventually you meet Nelson, you listen to him, and and it was, it was beyond me why somebody hadn't a, didn't come up with this idea, this concept, this vision or earlier. <clears throat> and I know that, you know, with cash value, you can always, there's a loan provision with a life insurance policy. And I know you can borrow against the, the cash value. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about nobody said, oh, wait, your need for finance is greater than your need for death benefit. And maybe, you know, he just had to go through what he had to go through. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it took what it took. But yeah. Why I think would we're going to see that again, though. With so? where we're at in the economy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've already. Have you not seen the shift of, oh my gosh, interest rates are eight percent, and now the policy is a great place to go. When I was an idiot six months ago, a year ago, three years ago, why would I borrow at four when I can go at three? Right? And there's times that yes, I will say. And you may not say this. I will say, well, let's go to the bank then and leave the money in the policy and have it liquid. Mm -hmm. But right now, now all of a sudden we're heroes because Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a 4% loan rate or a 5% loan rate. But at the end of the day, we have to sometimes feel that pain before we can see that, oh, maybe when rates were 3%, I should have started a policy. Or people will say, well, I can't now because it's really bad. Well, guess what? Nelson did at the worst of times. So in fact, that's the best time to start because it can't get any worse. 
if you can start in the worst of times, imagine how awesome it'll be in the best of times. Mm-hmm. I have seen that where, and it really doesn't matter. It's where you're where you're at right now. You know, right now is a, the analogy of when you want to plant a shade tree. You mm-hmm. know, well, as soon as possible today. Well, should have been twenty years ago, but you didn't. Um, I've seen I've seen the mind, the thinking. You know, generally, it's like, well, it's when when the markets are up, I, I want a higher rate of return and. You know, I can do two times that, three times that, five times, 20 times, whatever it is, compared to a life insurance policy. I'd never put my money there. And then when interest rates come down, um, loan rates are down, you know, it's like, why would I, why would I borrow and, you know, from myself? Why would I borrow from myself and pay, you know, interest to borrow my own money? So, yes, I've seen that now. Interest rates are going up. You know, mortgage rates are going up. And you know what? Policy loan rates will go up, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, you can't control that. Neither can I. Did the Fed call you and have a conversation about where you should, you know, where you think interest rates may be or what they should do? No. It's like, okay, well, interest rates go up. The banks go up overnight. Right. And then the life insurance companies, as slow as molasses as they are, they'll go up on their loan interest rates. Mm-hmm. And then if they're honest, um, then they'll the dividends will follow. Maybe not mm-hmm. that year, or the next year, maybe the next year. And so none of that you can control, though. You can't control any of that. Neither can I. But what I can't control is paying a premium. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was talking to a, a young guy the other day, very sharp three degrees to him with engineering and you know we're getting in, in very good questions you know and he's getting into them and and uh, he said well i want to know a little bit more than beyond just pay a premium because a premium is solution perfect as long as that's the foundation you know because a premium is a solution i don't mm-hmm. care what the problem is and the problems are never ending i don't care what you do farming you know entrepreneur real estate whatever these problems are coming at you every day yep. The solution is capital, right? And if you never start, you never build the capital. Right. So we're going to start now and we're going to start slow so the capital can be built so when we need it, it's there. So I have all these people that didn't start when interest rates were low, but now they want operating and they want loans for equipment. I mean, we have lines, farm lines of credit right now are 8%. I mean, they're and they're going up instantly yeah they are getting letters every week or every other week that oh your line of credit went up your line of credit rate went up yeah and so well yeah, the line, now the, they're like but yeah. i don't have enough yeah. in the policy mary joe or i didn't start the policy right mm-hmm. so you should have what beat parkinson's law started the policy so that we had something and we could have gone there when rates were when rates go up but we didn't look long term to see that because everybody is stuck in such a short term view yep. that why would I do this? Why would I do this? I need $2 million tomorrow. You're an idiot because I can't get $2 million tomorrow. Well, no, but did you farm 5,000 acres overnight? Because last I checked, you probably added that over time, yeah. you know? And so it's the same thing here. Start it now. Start small, whatever. Add more policies. Nelson at 49. Add the policies. Yeah. And then we can get the capital built to then buy. But 
you know, when we bought our place, not this last one, but the one before, um, not the one that you're talking about me remodeling again, but we went to the bank mm-hmm. and we borrowed money from the bank because I needed the capital to do remodel. Mm-hmm. That was the most painful experience I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't, if you are an entrepreneur and you do not have a W-2 income, they do not know what to do. They and view it was so funny. Unemployed. Yes. Yeah. And it was absolutely hilarious that I read Nelson's book again, because you're always reading it, you know. I read it again after we closed on that property. And in that, he's, I don't remember where it's at in the book, but he says, interest rate doesn't matter. Because you always have your time and that is not accounted for. And the amount of time I spent sending bank statements from different businesses and personal accounts and then they lose them and I'd have to send them again. And then I would have to explain, well, why did you have more money in January than you did in in October? Well, because I, I sold like, some. <laughs> exactly. Like if they cannot understand that it's not a level income. Yeah. And I thought, this is exactly this is exactly what Nelson is talking about. A three and a half percent rate or four percent rate for a W two employee is gonna be a much easier process than a three or four and a half percent mortgage rate for an, an entrepreneur who has to give a pint of blood along with everything else to get that or to get that loan. Yeah. So the next the next um, real estate we bought, I did not go to the bank. I was like, here's the Done check. It is I am borrowing it all <laughs> and I'll figure out the remodel later. Yeah. Because I am not going through that again. My time has a value to it. And we are not taught to think that way either. Yeah. So three and a half percent is not really three and a half percent. And then you have to add closing fees and all the other stuff to go along with it. Yeah. So it because I figured that in, I think that raised it a half a percent over 30 years or 0.75 or something. I don't know. But Nelson's right. And you miss it. Yeah. I missed it for 10 years, that tiny little nugget in there until you go through it. And then all of a sudden, oh, Nelson's right. Yeah. I, you know, I understand the cheaper money argument. I get that. And, you know, I'll borrow all the money you want to loan me at 3%. I'm cool with that. Because um, I can make some, I can make hay with that. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But it's being dependent upon the third-party lender um, and maintaining control. You know, we like your farmers and, and the amount of capital that they are borrowing just a financer operation, you know, need two million and and okay, but you can start slow, build up systematically on purpose with intent, um, just to the point where you can maintain control. I mean, you get leverage to the hilt and interest rates change, bank ownership changes, you know, lines of credit limits move up and down. Um, oh my gosh, they're going to call that note and we'll just, close that line of credit and turn it into a time payment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to have a lot of capital, even though you can't finance hundred percent of your operation, enough capital to maintain control. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that a nice, 
legitimate place to start? Just mm-hmm. how about we have enough capital in our control that we can maintain the leverage? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you go down that path and you see that the cash values do accumulate and you actually do have access to it, um, you know, your comfort level goes up. Oh, I can, if that goes south over there, I can handle that and that and that. Then your confidence level goes up. And then it's like, Mary Jo, why, why didn't you, you know, tell me to pay more premium? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So, yeah, it is. I mean, when we bought our last property, right, the first one, I wanted the money to stay in cash value. So it was liquid. Yep. So I could pay for remodel because I knew the bank was not going to want to pay for remodel because mm-hmm. I didn't tell him I was remodeling. And or so, how much it was going to cost. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell him I was taking the roof off the house. Um, and then this, but the second one, it's giving me an opportunity. I didn't put all my cash there, but it's giving me an opportunity to remodel that before we turn it into a short-term rental because I don't have the income coming in to make a bank payment. So it's giving me the control of what I want to do. I talked to a farmer last week. He has, he was short his um, land payment, $225,000. Where do you have to go to get that? Line of credit. Oh, line of credit. Right? So now his line of credit, he's $225,000 upside down. Mm -hmm. Well, the only way to not be upside down is for cattle prices to come up because he's not a farmer, he's a rancher. So for cattle prices to come up, well, what's the likelihood that cattle prices are going to come up and stay up long enough for him to get that right side back? And they're not. And now he has a loan that went to 7% interest overnight with $225,000 more on it than should be. Mm-hmm. And he's so we're got another at $600,000 and he's got another land payment yeah. coming up. So now instead of him have, if he would have known about IBC, he didn't, but had he known about IBC, he could have borrowed that from his policy and nobody, we're not risking having to sell land or cattle. Mm-hmm. Now we have to sell land in order to get right side up and because we don't have control, the bank is going to start calling notes because they're, they're not going to keep allowing him. He's at this max line of credit. They're not going to keep allowing it. And so we ha- there are times where we want to have some of that capital liquid. And yes, I will put, I will use some of it to put a down payment. But if I know I need control of that loan payment, then I am going to finance it all myself. If I know that I can make the payment to the bank, okay. I feel like, and we've talked about this before, I feel like in the world of infinite banking, we are trying to accumulate real estate or something so quickly that we're going to the bank and we're not, we don't have the equity. We don't necessarily have the control because we're trying to build by that, by that real estate and that real estate and that real estate and leverage and leverage and leverage. And what happened to Nelson? He leveraged, hence the book people. So we have, I'm okay doing that at a slower rate, even though our colleagues laugh at me and they think I'm an idiot. Mary Jo, why are you doing that? Why did you pay cash for that? Why did you, right? Because I'm okay going slow so that 
I can sleep at night. It's just how, because some of this yeah. comes back to us emotionally. That's right. You, you, yeah, human behavior. I mean, don't jump over that, right? It's like, you know, how much someone has, you know, in the brick and mortar bank, um, as far as liquid cash, capital that has a drop through window you can walk into the lobby and make a withdrawal you know suck this that number is different for everyone and it changes over time Mm -hmm. you know the same if we're practicing this idea and we have you know cash value is all of it collateralized or 90 percent of it collateralized or 50 percent of it or 10 percent of it um that number changes your comfort level changes and you know, I'm, I'm with you. If you can fault me, you know, for two reasons, uh, in my opinion, I speak slow, um, you know, and I don't use proper English, right? But I'm too conservative, really. Uh-huh. I'm too conservative or I'm very conservative and I don't use proper English. Okay, I'm okay with that. You know, I look back, <clears throat> um, I might have missed two or three deals that I know of, you know, great opportunities mm-hmm. and you know, but I was leveraged and I didn't want to leverage that much more. And looking back, you know, sure, they they, they would have worked out. Um, but why am I going to worry about that? It's in the past. And, you know, I took advantage of a lot of other opportunities because I had access to capital that, that worked out fine. Um, and then I've seen and heard, and I'm sure you have too, where within the footprint of IBC, um, People say, well, you got to have 100% of your cash value collateralized working, buying cash flowing, appreciating assets. Um, No, no, you don't. I mean, just 100% collateralized, 100% leveraged. Yeah, no. Yeah, I I am with you. I am extremely conservative. Takes me... takes me a longer time to start policies than most, even for myself, because I want to make sure I can pay the premium. I want to make sure I can pay loans back. I don't want to get in over my head. I'm just okay being a little bit slower, but I am not going to collateralize all of my money. It's just, I mean, there's a deal right now that I'm just like, Oh, I should do it. I should do it. You know, but no, it's, it just doesn't feel like the right time and I'm not going to just do stuff. I'm going to learn from Nelson. Okay. I can either repeat that mistake or I can learn from other people. Mm. And I I prefer to learn from other people's mistakes. Yep. I know the, the talk about timing and feeling, you know, feeling if it's right. I mean, um, some of the greatest opportunities that I've taken advantage of was, looking around and nobody else is doing it you know it's like what's wrong with this opportunity and then it's like i don't know if i can and sometimes not knowing is good for us Mm -hmm. um so i'm just saying that that at the end of the day the banker can do whatever they want there you know you win some you lose some you take advantage of some opportunities you don't and but no sense in looking back and regretting it right um but I think emotion comes into it. And so many people want to say, well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here are the numbers. Here's the deal. I have clients that, and I did not advise this, but you know, they put money in a policy and then they borrow to pay off their car and their house. And she wants to, she's very entrepreneurial, wants to start all these businesses. I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Use the money in the policy to start the businesses. The rate on the car is 2%. The rate on the house is 3%. You know, in that situation, if we want to grow and we're not in over our head 
And she said, I don't want to deal with the bank. Plain and simple. You know what? That is their right to do that because that is what Nelson would say. Never use the bank. And so as an IBC practitioner, I can say this is what Nelson teaches. This is true IBC. Never use the bank. However, there is also a point where we can leverage if you want to, and we can leave that liquid to go and use the bank if you want to do that. It really depends on your risk level. It depends on where you're at emotionally, financially. These are your options. True IBC is never use the bank because if you do, as Nelson told me once, you're part of the problem, Mary yep. Jo. Yep, sign that dotted line and you created that. You know, money or digit out of thin air. Mm-hmm. But it took him 14 years to get rid of the snakes and the dragons. And he mentions other places in his book. It takes the average bear 25 years, mm-hmm. you know. And, and um, it, 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 I'm, I like cheap money all the time. I've had clients give me a hard time. We bought a new car several years ago. And um, I think, you know, we financed a down payment out of a, you know, from a life insurance company. And um, I think it was 1.9. It was some really low interest rate, right? And so I'm talking with a client. He's a very intelligent uh, individual and like most of my clients are. <laughs> and he's like, well, James, uh, you know, why did you, we put a lot of down, you know, a lot, a lot of money down compared to the price. And he said, well, why'd you do that? You know, you're borrowing money at five and you could have borrowed all the money at 1.9. And, you know, and it was human behavior. My lovely wife, I'm like, because we make our loan repayments. You know, we borrow, we repay. And it really got down to how much do you want your payment to be? Because I didn't want to have a payment over like 36 months or 48 months, whatever it was. Um, The idea of financing a car seven, eight, or nine years is just beyond me. Insane. And so... You know, here is my time limit, 48 months. And then, then it's like, Jana, what, what do you, where do you want, where do you want your payment to be? And that's what dictated how much we put down mm-hmm. and, and how much we borrowed, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. and I'm okay with that. And she could pay it off, you know, if she wanted to. Did it to cost anyway. you more interest? Yeah. Did it, did it make for a happy marriage mm-hmm. and a wife that was okay with that payment amount? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, driving off the lot, driving away from the deal, and, and uh, you feel all good about it? Mm-hmm. What's that word? Yep. And people don't, yeah. sometimes we're so stuck on that number of what it's going to cost me, not how do I want to do it? Because Nelson didn't go to the bank. When he said I was done with snakes and dragons, he was done with snakes and dragons. Yeah. He didn't care what the interest rate was because he had hurt. He had the pain and experienced it once. I experienced the pain of a loan once. <laughs> I mean, more than once, but this last time was exceptionally. I, have, I, I There's some PTSD there, possibly. <laughs> but there is... You may be rated yeah. on that policy, the next policy. I, you, you finally you know, get around to buying. <laughs> you know how women say you forget the pain of child labor? Like, that may have subsided faster than this pain of wow. this loan. You're traumatized, huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but financial PTSD is a real thing. No like, question. It absolutely is a real thing. And so when people go there... Like Nelson, he didn't want to go back. And that was Nelson's 100% belief. And so when some people come in and say, well, 
Ed, uh, you're paying more. Yes, you are going to pay more to your company, but you have the control. And that is what Nelson was talking about. That is what IBC is about, liquidity control and guarantees. That simple. But that you're paying more to the company in the low interest rate environments. Let's let the interest rates continue to go up. And then that paradigm shift changes or, you know, it's just arbitrage. So for 10 years, that's what we've heard. No question. Yeah, yeah. And now that's why I say now we're not the idiots. But for the last 10 years, we've been the idiots. And they've played this game. I don't self-identify as an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) They've played this game of that we don't know what we're talking about. Look at what the market's doing. Look at what this is doing. We're not looking at some of the emotion behind it, what have people experienced financially? If they have financial PTSD, that's a real thing. And I said that, I I talked about it in a podcast of mine, and I got emails and people were like, that's real. I didn't even think of it that way before. Like when I started this business and I had no money because people didn't believe what I was telling them, I still open my bank account today and I got plenty of money in there, but I still don't like to go. I do not like to log into my bank account because I get like, I just, I, I can just feel like my muscles get tighter, even though I know there's money there. Financial PTSD, people that were broke at one point, people that had struggled at one point. Some people don't forget that. Some people repeat it. And they just make money and go broke and make money and go broke. And then there are people that are going to live from it. And those people may not care what the interest rate is. They want the control. Yeah. It's just that simple. Physiological response of opening up your online accounts. You know, you can, you can ask my wife, you can ask Jenna, uh, talking about being uncomfortable, you know, the first, property that we closed on we were young broke um and i'm squirming in my chair and i didn't realize it until after we're done you know we got the loan and she's like my gosh man you're slithering and squirming all over that chair and you know it was exactly what you're talking about just a physiological response um, and the uncomfortable feeling that here, here I'm going to show you all of our weak numbers, and then it's it's like you're going to pull up a credit score and judge me, and you know I don't know you've been broker time or two, or you've had things called or uh, repossessed, things go wrong. This idea of becoming your own banker and that control of the banking function uh, all of a sudden has a new ringing in your oh. ear amazing but that that ptsd that reminds me of uh, that just ask her the next time you see her and she'll she'll laugh and and being at the closing table when we Uh, this is so funny we went in to buy this um most recent property and we i don't know we signed a couple things and took maybe five minutes and she's like okay you're good to go and my husband goes that's it and she goes, cash is king, man. Yeah. Because we you're there for half an hour yeah. when you have to do loan paperwork. And I mean, it was in and out. And it is a whole, it is a whole different environment. And what do you save? You know, I don't know if I told you, I think I told you this last time we talked, but that property that we bought, we saved $100,000 off purchase price 
because we had cash, cash. to buy that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about interest rates. Yeah, there you go. And sure. and where the difference is, right? I could have still got a three and a half percent or four percent loan at mm-hmm. that time. No, I'm sorry, it went to six. So I could have I called the bank. Oh my God, this is good, James. I called the bank and they said, Oh, well, we could get you a cheaper rate if you want to put some money in a CD and we'll use oh, that yeah. CD as collateral. Yeah. I said, Well, welcome back to 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're using this. And they same were born tactics. in 1991. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't. Well, that my loan officer, she does. She's yeah. my age. But at the end of the day, you've got people that don't even know what a CD is anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're using that tactic again to yeah. get a lower rate. But I just saved a hundred grand. And I have the control and the flexibility. If I could have, if I would have not been able to offer cash on that deal, Mm -hmm. there is no way they would have taken my offer. There is no way. A hundred thousand less. That's insane. And close, I don't know, you know, cash, it's, uh, you can close pretty quickly. Oh, we closed in 14 days. Yeah. I bought two properties that way. I'm like, we're going to, the first one I wanted to close in seven, but they're like, can we get out? Yeah. I'm like, well, can't you get out in seven days? <laughs> Come on. It's like, wait, wait. <laughs> we, we don't do paperwork that fast around here. I got someone to get in there. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, But it was, it that gives you power. And I think a lot of people miss that because now even our first property, instead of us waiting three months to close, I had a renter in in four weeks paying too much worth of payments <laughs> yeah yep yeah i know the last deal that we did uh with the bank or a lender third-party lender um you know it, it was you know two years of tax returns two years of this two years of that and you know where are you getting the down payment it's like policy loans and they're like can we see them and of course I said yes and they seen some of them but and and there was a whole story of why we did what we did and it's worked out very very well but we have control right Mm -hmm. so um, but he's like he said "Uh, James I've heard people talk about this but I've never actually seen anybody do it at this level Mm -hmm. and I'm like yeah, it actually there's people all across the country doing it at this level. And and here's here's a I mean, he's an ag lender, right? Um and you know, the president and the vice president and they're all like looking and I'm like, it's really not that complicated. It's so not complicated, you know, and I and I gave them a bunch of books. They asked for them. They're like, How do you how do you do this? And I gave them all the books and I'm like, don't just just read it and you know, if you have a comment, great. I'm not, you know and do you think they read the books? No. That they asked for? I should have charged them double for it. I'm just saying <laughs> that but they put interest on it until they call. Yeah, back. it's like <laughs> You walk into a cash deal. Cash deals in the real estate down here, you know, in Fort Worth, North Texas, um, you know, two or three, four hundred thousand dollar deals. They happen all the all every day, all day long. You know, California money or wherever. But the majority of real estate transactions are not cash deals, and they almost don't know how to. You know, no, we can't do the paperwork in seven days because it takes us 14 days. That's mm-hmm. as quick as we can get the attorneys to move on the documents or what. It's just mm-hmm. foreign to them. Interesting. You know? Yeah, I haven't had any problems where we're at, but it 
it definitely gives you the leverage. And I found it very fascinating because um, now we bought this other property. And so I said, well, I just want a line of credit against it. So I have access to cash if I need it. Mm-hmm. Well, two years ago, we bought our property. And now when we bought this property, I'm like, only you only got three lines there for life insurance. I, right. I, I need I need a few more. Right. And so then I have to go to comments. <laughs> I have to put Just in the comment section. I total have to it fill up out and all make this them. life insurance. Yeah. I did on this last one that yeah. I filled out. I just say, okay, this is how much I have on me. This is cash value. This is how much is on my husband. This is cash right. value. This is how much is on colleagues. This is cash value. And they just, it's almost sad though that there's only three lines. Even if we're not, t- even if we're not talking IBC, mm-hmm. you only have two policies for life insurance because um, you're guaranteed to not get out alive. Right. And so why have why why don't you have more even if it's term because it's locked why don't you why have you not added to the term over the years your value of your life has increased why are you not adding to it but yeah they they didn't may have any comments for me all i said was when my ptsd example happened and i had to keep giving them stuff i said you know you just keep doing what you're doing because that just makes people read the book so you know i'm happy to you just Keep being inefficient. <laughs> right. Ask me for one more thing and I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, but it's a, because they make it so painful, people are looking for IBC. Yeah. And people that are buying, this is what I hear is, you know, the rental property, the short-term market is just expanding exponentially. Yeah. And we weren't looking to get into it. We just end up falling into it with this property. But they are borrowing and borrowing and borrowing to the point where those podcasts are warning people not to borrow the way they're borrowing and don't lie to your lender. And there's go- they're concerned that they're not going to get loans on short-term rentals the way some people are buying them because they're mm. doing it in such a quick manner, expanding so quickly. And it's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, a banker's never seen a bad loan, right? They no. can't lend well, it money. It depends quick how old enough. they are. Look, yeah. did that experience, uh, the last couple, um, help you with your PTSD? No. No. It's, and I don't, I'm okay having it because it reminds me where I was. Yeah. We can look at, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I know that it's there. I'm far riskier. Like if we look at where I was to where I am, right? I am confident now that, oh yeah, we're we're gonna be okay if we do this deal or that deal. Um, but it's also a good reminder that, hey, things can go backwards and so don't get out of control. Yeah. Where some people have the mindset of, oh, I was there, big deal, I got out of it, I'll just go back there. I don't care if I have to file bankruptcy. I don't care Dude. about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, because you see people some of your big, huge motivational speakers, they'll go from here to here and they don't care. They'll just keep rebuilding. And no, thank you. Yeah. I don't want to rebuild. I'll just build slower. But yeah, it's it's still there. But I think it, and I, and I also think it helps just to be able to relate to a new client who is there. And yeah. to say, hey, you know what? You got this. Like yeah. you, you're not going to be here forever. Don't beat yourself up because of what you did. Just yeah. like you said in the beginning, don't beat yourself up of what you did 
because we can only go forward from here. And yeah. you didn't know what you didn't know. So let's yeah. move forward. I agree with that. It's <clears throat> it's quite often. I mean, it, it helps when you've done it, you know, and, and you know it works. Got a lot of clients that do it and it works. I mean, you got to have some discipline. There's no question about that. Um, but it's a it's very rewarding to see people. You know, the lights come on. They do they do their vetting um, process and they put their hand to the plow and then they do it. And you know, there's a way out, and they're suspect or you know concerned or. And it's like so rewarding to watch them look up in one year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, and look back and they're like, oh my God, I did not think this was possible mm -hmm. to this level. It's like, what's that worth? Mm -hmm. It's it's very rewarding. Yeah. And know. to be able to help them and teach them that other people aren't doing right because they're just wanting to get out of debt and they want to and you know i just have a lot of dave ramsey fans as clients for whatever reason and i love them because they're they're so concerned about getting out of debt and they have all their finances and they understand budgeting i love it but i'm like why are we paying off that car when you are telling me that you want to create cash flow and they're crying. They're literally crying because they cannot get out of debt to take the next step. And then we get to give them permission. It's okay. Cause Dave doesn't know, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> it's okay. Let us help you create that wealth and show you how to do it. And don't beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't know. You don't know how credit cards work. Cause nobody taught you that. Right. Oh, I love that too. What's a loan interest rate on that? <clears throat> well, what's a loan interest rate on your line of credit and your credit cards? Mm -hmm. You know, no, it, it is, uh, well, like I said earlier, it's just very rewarding watching people build something that they own and control. Just, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. they make it care less what interest rates are. And, and then deliver the death benefit. Uh, yeah. Like that is one part of the business that I never thought about. Yeah. Until I had to do it the first time. And yeah. now that I've had four in the last year. That's a lot. That is a lot. <clears throat> yeah. And it is, it is, I call it, you know, Nelson talks about the scene and the unseen. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not what he talks about, but I call it the unseen that we as IBC practitioners don't talk a lot about mm -hmm. because it is life changing mm -hmm. to be able to deliver that death benefit and know that they would have not had that yeah. had they not met you, had yeah. they not had IBC. Yeah. You know, we get so, sometimes we get hung up on the cash value mm -hmm. and and borrowing it and though it's not part of death benefit and that misunderstanding of that. But like I just lost a client in July. We haven't delivered the death benefit yet because the policy was not two years old. So it was contestable. And then she had, they had autopsy, but she was 32 and pregnant. And so yeah. mom and baby were lost. <clears throat> Delivering, calling, him calling and saying, and I was able to tell him how much death benefit there was. And it's crazy, James. I have no idea. Like, I know you guys aren't big term fans, but I will put term on my policies. We ride term all day long. And so, I mean, like a term rider. Yeah. And so I have no idea why. 
I put that much term on because there's oh, there you can put be more on that one than you normally do. Yeah, like because you sometimes you know term can hurt a policy too. Right. So you have to have the right amount. Too much is bad. Too little is not going to do what we need it to do. And so there's a happy medium in there. Right. Why I put extra on hers, I have absolutely no idea. Not a clue, but I did. Well, lucky her. I know. Right. I mean, all I can say is it was a God thing. Lucky them. I'm right. Not, he's like, no luck involved. he's like, Mary Jo, thanks for taking care of me. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm like, well, I wish I could say I did that on purpose, but I can't even, I would have to look back at our meeting because I record them all. I would have to look back to see why I did that. And she was so young, 32. So it's not, the term maybe didn't hurt it. So I thought, well, whatever, let's just leave it on there. It's not affecting cash value at all. But when you deliver those, and I deliver them in person. So when you deliver those and you sit down with the family and you talk to them, that's a big deal. Yeah. It's the unseen of what we do. I know Julie has been here probably 15, 16 years, 15 years. And early on, <clears throat> talk about PTSD, she uh, took a phone call from a client who had just lost a spouse or someone, and she's like, didn't know what to do. You know, she just, it was new. She had never yeah. done that. And I don't know, it was, you know, 15, 14 years ago. And she was, you know, she was shaken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are things that have to be done, and... um I'm like, Julie, says, we're in the life insurance business. Mm-hmm. You know, we, but it was a shock to her, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and I want to say, too, excuse me, <clears throat> the um, death benefit is, I think, overly diminished in the infinite banking world. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're a, uh, <clears throat> if you have obligations, you have a family, it's okay to insure the greatest asset that you are. Because you are your greatest asset, it's okay to be insured properly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's no question. You know, you practice banking, you're going to wind up with more death benefit than you sought to purchase. Yes. It's unbelievable how much more. Yeah, yeah. And but, it is the it. The here's the other thing that I have come to learn <clears throat> is when I delivered my second claim. My first one was local. So that was no big deal. But the second one, I drove to Kansas and physically delivered the check and sat with the family for a day and a half. And um, it was, it's unbelievable that they had another policy and the agent, no phone call. They called that company and then they called me and said, what do I need to fill out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The agents are either not there or still there and frankly don't care because now the death benefit check gets sent and we're done with you. Mm-hmm. And the amount of paperwork, like I've had two, I think this was my second or th- I've had three of them that are contestable that they've died within the first two years. The amount of paperwork that goes out and then the company sends the paperwork to the beneficiary or next of kin, and then I have to call the company and yell at the company and say, what are you doing? These people just lost a loved one. They have no idea what they're supposed to fill out. 
they can't even think straight. And it's, it was crazy to me that all agents don't do that. Absolutely crazy to me. And so you have to have an agent that cares. You mentioned the incontestability or the non-contestability clause. If someone dies in the first two years of all life insurance, the company um, has the right to contest the claim within the first two years. So, and that clause will just say we're not going to contest a claim after 24 months or after two years. And so, most of the policies that we write today are fully underwritten up front, Mm -hmm. right? And so, during that time period, if you graduate within the first two years, the company is going to investigate to determine that you were, in fact, uh, honest on the application, mm-hmm. that there is no material misrepresentation made on the application. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a company, every company, it's in your life insurance contract, the, a company has six months to pay a legitimate death benefit, to fulfill a loan request, right? to fulfill a withdrawal from a life insurance policy, cash values, PUAs. Um, so it's not that big a deal no. that, that you know, the company is just doing their due diligence to make sure that that is, in fact, a legitimate claim and there is no material misrepresentation. And then to go on, if they did find that there is a material misrepresentation made on the application that would have prevented them otherwise of issuing that policy, then they'll rescind the policy. And they'll send that uh, beneficiary or whomever the next owner would be, their estate, whatever. Um, They'll send all the money that was paid back in the form of premium with a nice letter that says, it's as if we've never met. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. They'll just do a return of premium, essentially. Yeah. Right. They just return of premium. And it's not that they're looking for a way to, this is what people misunderstand. They're not looking for a way to not pay premium. Exactly. They are looking for every reason to pay premium. And in my cases, I mean, I've apparently just gotten really lucky, Um, but they will go back and just order medical records, a few more years of medical records, and they're not doing a whole lot more than that that I'm aware of. But there are people that will, and I tell people, I'm like, if you are a tobacco user and you tell me you're non-tobacco and then you wait two weeks to have some clean urine and they go back and you were at the doctor five weeks ago and it said you were a tobacco user, that claim is not going to get paid to the fullest extent. They're going to pay it as a tobacco user, but not as a non-tobacco user. Is it really worth lying over? So you can have a little more cash value. You choose to use tobacco. Sorry, you did it to yourself. It is what it is, right? My husband's a tobacco user. I have to pay those premiums. I am not going to lie about the fact that he is not a tobacco user. Yeah. <laughs> it's the risk that we take. But the the companies, this I think this is another thing that people talk about or like a little bit of a noise out there that oh companies are looking for ways to not pay because apparently along the way somebody didn't pay well i don't know it's not my company my companies are paying 
and they're happy to pay. They're not, they're only questioning it. I had somebody die at 25 months and it was within weeks of 25. <laughs> I was like 24 months and two weeks or something. Wow. And they sent a letter thinking it was contestable, right? Because they didn't do the math. And then, and <laughs> oh, then I got the letter went out and like two days later, I got an email that said, Hey, your client's going to get this letter. It is not contestable. We missed the date. We, you know, incorrectly did whatever they do. And, um, and they're not, it was 25 months later, mm. nothing contestable there. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't have come back. It just takes a lot longer to issue that death benefit, a lot more paperwork, <clears throat> but your agent needs to take care of you. And help you through that. I remember one time early in my career, had a gentleman that graduated. The policy was issued at a particular age, you know, and he was born in his home and mm. didn't have a, a birth certificate, which is not on that oh, not that uncommon that long ago. It may sound weird today, but um, they got his uh, military records, and so the the army or whomever issued him a birthday right he didn't have a birth certificate and they're like well this one when you were born son <laughs> and so the company used that and it was different so the, all they do is go in there and adjust the premium mm-hmm. you know and the death benefit but you know it's still paid yeah but but i've heard stories too like we have a colleague that he had a client that took a policy out on his son and his son lied that he didn't do drugs paramed came back everything came back great and he dies of an overdose and the company does not pay and dad was upset yeah but he lied and said that he wasn't doing drugs and obviously there was something in that contest because it was contested you know in the contestability period so obviously there was something in medical records that showed that and dad maybe didn't know because of hipaa and the kid was in college and so they're, they have every right to not pay that. Yep. So I always tell people, if you have kids that you want to insure, do it before they start doing drugs. <laughs> because we don't know if and when that's going to occur. Yeah. And so do it while they're still at home. But please, just it's not worth lying on a policy. Yeah, that would be an awkward conversation, you know children or not not children not minors right but young adults yeah um parents are buying policies and come to find out you know they vape or smoke but mom didn't know that well that's a conversation that you're gonna have to have with your mom and your dad (laughs) or antidepressants i we have a huge a huge issue right now with lots of young people that have that are just newly diagnosed with depression anxiety they're not insurable if that's been in the last year or two that they're on meds there's not enough stabilization mm. well now we want to insure the kid but mom and dad maybe don't know that <clears throat> you know it's kind of like mom and dad don't know that the kids are on antidepressants well, not if or? they're young adults okay right? i got yeah yeah or you have that conversation where <laughs> you've had these meetings i'm sure oh we we get to the point where we're going to decide what we're going to do with the policy and somebody comes back tobacco and the other spouse didn't know. No, the spouse didn't know. No, the spouse didn't know. You've never had a meeting like that? No. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple now. Yeah. I'm like, well, you came back tobacco. I don't, I don't smoke. 
Oh my gosh. And, I'm like, <laughs> and the wife sitting there like, yeah, he doesn't it smoke. Was the, it was the wife. <laughs> oh, the wife smoked. <laughs> and oh. I'm like, I, well, whatever. Yeah. I, so I don't know if I bailed her out or what, but I said, are, do you, did you perhaps, um, chew Nick, Nicorette? <laughs> Are you trying to help her? Out? Well, I wasn't trying to. I'm just like <laughs> no, that, that one. Disclosed a lot either. of people think that Nicorette or like my husband's a chewer, mm-hmm. and so if you're chewing, um, what's it called, Zin, that is a cinnamon nicotine pouch, and so that is still it's still nicotine, but they think it's not tobacco. Yeah. So it's not going to come back or vaping. I've had people come back. We ask, "Are you a tobacco user?" Nope. Yeah. But you're vaping, it's still tobacco. And yep. so the all the new fun stuff is still yeah, that, show that, up. It used to be non tobacco rates, tobacco, non tobacco rates, but now it's nicotine. Yeah. Because all of that, I don't care how what the what the what the product is, it's just a delivery system for a drug. Mm-hmm. The drug's nicotine, whether you smoke right. it, chew it, dip it, yeah, you know, vape it, whatever. But there's a lot of reasons people think you know, if you're going to insure a young adult and you don't quite know what they're doing at college or wherever they're at, because it's really none of your business because they're adults, it, you have that risk. Yeah. Have you had, I mean, since you've had these great, <laughs> wonderful conversations and meetings, have you had one where the spouse comes up uh, positive in some kind of a drug use situation where the other spouse didn't know? And I don't want to put you on the spot. Not... You know, drug use we have had um we did find out that edibles are treated differently than smoking marijuana edibles are non-tobacco with my company anyway it depends on the company right the company's view of so edibles with my company are non-tobacco don't be calling me if you got drug use i'm not a proponent of issuing all these policies with marijuana but (laughs) (laughs) call james Um, (laughs) but we can take care of it that is different um, but I have not had, I don't have a lot of drug users now. Good. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like the, uh, they, they no. say that they say the underwriters say, well, there's not enough data on cannabis use on the edibles, right? Mm. Um, smoking is smoking. Vaping is worse than smoking. I don't care what you smoke. Even there's nicotine in the rolling papers, right? Um, so even if you have a company that is, neutral not cannabis friendly but cannabis neutral right you could still test positive because of the nicotine in the rolling papers for mm-hmm. nicotine right, but then there's companies that their philosophy is like no we're not doing any edibles or i don't care if you smoke it mm-hmm. in a pop a, you know a bong or an edible or whatever um, and then they typically say well there's not enough data to 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 show you know, positive results from long-term cannabis use. Mm-hmm. I'm like, perfect. You know, it could extend your life for all I know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets down to really company philosophy. Some look at it one way and others look at it another. And your actuaries and your underwriters and who's talking to who. And I mean, I have a, I have talked to physicians that, are proponents of marijuana and they say smoking it is worse because it has to, it goes through your lungs and your liver differently than if it is edible and the effect of it is different in the body. And I've had people say, Oh, it doesn't matter. But all in all, most life insurance companies, I've not seen one 
not issue for marijuana. Oh, and that, so they, they, they will, will. I've always any company that I have talked to, if you are using any type of, uh, and I'm gonna not call it cannabis so much, just because there's the THC levels. But if we're actually smoking a marijuana type product, most of the companies that I've talked to will do tobacco. Yeah, and I've asked why. Like, how are you rating it? And they've basically told me, well, we don't really have enough evidence or research or history to know what it is. We just know that this is the example I was told. We just know that if you're high, you're probably going to not be able to pull your arm out of that PTO fast enough to not get wrapped up in that PTO. Mm. So you're going to do more dangerous things than it's not necessarily going to the drug itself isn't going to kill you. <laughs> But you might do some stupid things that will kill you. All right, farmers, <laughs> so, but don't don't be running your equipment smoking marijuana. Right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's the and just don't grow. Growing it is worse because if you're going to grow it, we can't take premium. Yeah. Okay. As a grower or seller yeah, or so, distributor of right. legally grown, you know, smoking cannabis is easier. And, than growing because it's federal that's federal it's against the law federally and the the right. life insurance companies are regulated by the state so and so is marijuana right cannabis across the country it's all regulated by the states or you can you can buy here you can grow it there but it's federally illegal so the life insurance companies don't want to deal with the money right because it's, it's money laundering for us right under the federal banking laws they mm -hmm. it's difficult for them they can't do it yeah so hemp is okay i've had i've gone head to head with the company on that yeah where i have lots of hemp growers mm -hmm. and they're like whoa that's marijuana denied i'm like hemp and marijuana are not the same thing right and so you may have to educate the company on farming because <laughs> they don't know anything about yeah. it well you you can smoke too much marijuana you can have too much cannabis, THC in your blood. I mean, so. Well, I would not know this, James. Huh? I would not know this. <laughs> uh, I would. Uh, because, you know, you may have a company that is, you know, cannabis neutral or friendly where they'll, they'll offer non-tobacco rates, even if they marijuana is smoked, right? Um and I go, you know, marijuana is from history. It's to me today, it's cannabis. But if you're sitting there smoking, you know, five joints a day, that's going to be too much for even those that are marijuana. The, the level will be a different. You're yeah. saying they'll deny based on level. Yeah, they won't issue because. But there's know, risk. Yeah. At the end of the day, the life Now, that's a guy company, who wouldn't pull his arm out from the PTO or whatever. But there's risk. There, the insurance companies are looking at the risk. So many yeah. people forget. And me included as a new agent, I would get mad. I'm like, why aren't they just insuring them? Because there's risk. And guess what? I'm an owner of that company now, and I don't want them to make silly decisions. I want them to be there for the next 121 years. So I'm okay with them putting that risk on there and somebody having to pay for it. Just because we don't think it is, we're not the actuaries. We're not pricing it. We don't, we're not looking at health records. That's their job. It's like, just because I can pay a premium, you should issue right. a policy. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. No. All right, listen, we've gone almost two hours. So that's long enough. Huh? <laughs> Is there anything you want to uh, share before we close? Or I don't think so. 
Okay, well, listen, thank you for coming down and spending time. Greatly appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.